Welcome in. Turn in your Bibles to Hosea chapter 1. Hosea chapter 1. You know, when I think about... When I think about what we just did, man, as the New Testament church, man, there is nothing that should baffle and unravel us like the understanding of what Jesus' love has done for us. We're going to be the next four weeks in the Minor Prophets. Uh, we are in the, going to be beginning today a Lindsay Lane Together series, which means all three of our campuses are, uh, are working together on this, collaborating on this. Um, but we are looking at the first four of the Minor Prophets. And let me just tell you, church, we, we don't have to go to the cross to see the love of Jesus. The love of Jesus is perfectly evident at the cross. But that is not the only place that we go to see it. And what is amazing to me as your pastor who has spent time in God's word this week, seeing how God has revealed his character and who he is and pursued a right relationship with us as creator to the creation should leave us with nothing less than awe of what he is and who he is. An awe of God. You see, the longer that I'm saved, the more of a tendency I can have to allow the awe of God to turn into apathy. Because I've been saved for a long time, I miss the urgency of which Christ found me. But God has pursued us, church. And so what we're going to see through these minor prophets, while, while it may seem like a peculiar place to look, we're going to see the character and the attributes of God. No, we don't. We can't directly apply what was going on in Israel and Judah to what we see happening today. We can't make that one-to-one application, right? That's poor hermeneutics to do that. However, we can see a God who responds consistently to the shortcomings of his people. We see a God who, firstly, in the book of Hosea, pursues us. And so as we go through these four weeks of this return series, we're going to return, be beckoned and called to return to a God who pursues us relentlessly. He pursued us in the garden. He pursued us as he created us. He pursued us through the sin in the garden. He pursued us through the sin of Israel, through the sin of a disjointed, a patristic, uh, uh, a patristic period where the church fathers roamed and were strangers and pilgrims. He pursued the people of Israel when they were enslaved in Egypt. His love pursued them when they came into the wandering before they came to the land of promise. He pursued them once they came into the promised land. He pursued them even there. 
That was not the end all and be all. As we've made it to the promised land, we've arrived. God's done. No, God's love continued. Ultimately, to bring us to the person of Jesus Christ. And now through a new covenant relationship that we have celebrated as his church today, he has pursued every one of us. Can we give God a hand clap of praise for his love for us? His love toward us? He's pursued you, church. Does it not make sense that we return to him? So the minor prophets are unique in genre. Uh, the Minor Prophets, largely historical books. Uh, the Minor Prophets were part of a single whole. They were known as the Twelve. They were read from one single scroll back in antiquity. right? And so, and so they were not twelve different sources as we tend to see them now. They were one source read from different people. They're not minor in their importance, you know, uh, Hosea is not the junior member of the prophet team that had a, just a slightly lesser message than Isaiah, maybe, right? That's, that's not what we see. What we see is that they were minor in that their length was shorter. They just wrote for less. There are some pastors who can say a lot with a little, but y'all got me and that ain't me. Right? And so, and so the message was equally as important, but they've been categorized as the minor prophets. Where we find ourselves in the book of Hosea is during the 8th century in the northern kingdom. The kingdoms have been divided, and they are in the northern kingdom. I believe we have a timeline. I believe. Yes, there you go. Now, I don't know if you can see this. I can because I'm six feet away from it. Uh, what you need to know is that long, uh, skinny green line there in the middle on the left, that is the span of time that Hosea prophesied. As you can tell, he prophesied almost the exact amount of time as many of the major prophets as well. It was while the Assyrian Empire was looming on the global scene at that day. The southern kingdom for most of the time was under King Uzziah who was experiencing a great amount of success as well. But somewhere in the 8th century, 775 to 720 is, is where this dates this particular one, but there is some variation to that. But this gives you an idea of where they fall. The minor prophets are not in chronological order, so when Hosea was done, didn't, didn't come Amos, right? They, they're kind of jumbled up. But Hosea prophesied at the begin, to the end of Jeroboam's reign all the way until after Samaria was destroyed, after the northern kingdom was destroyed. For over 75 years... Hosea prophesied in the northern kingdom. And so maybe that gives you some perspective. We'll do that each week to kind of give you an idea of where we're at. Um, I need a laser pointer. If any of y'all have a laser pointer, I will use it for the next three weeks. Um, but, uh, but anyway, so that's where we're going to be. So in Hosea's day, Israel would have been at the height of its military power, the height of its extravagance, the height of its glory, of its wealth. But it was also at the height of its sin. The northern kingdom was led by Jeroboam II. And many times Jeroboam, because the, 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 the Davidic line right, ran through Judah, that many would say that the father, if, if the king was of their father, David, he was a good king. 
And if he was of their father Jeroboam, he was a evil king, right? And so Jeroboam got cast in this mold of being actually the poster child for wicked kings in the northern kingdom. And so, and so on they go in Jeroboam's reign. They are as extravagant and as impressive as Israel has ever been. And here comes little old Hosea foretelling gloom and doom. For Hosea to say some of the things that he says in the book of Hosea would have been absolutely alien, especially in the first three chapters, would have been absolutely alien to the people that were living in in Israel's day. There's no way that Israel is going to fall. Have you seen our king? Have you seen our military power? Have you seen our beautiful buildings, our fortified cities? Now, there's no way, Hosea, this could be true. With all of these minor prophets, we're not going to be able to relate specifically to the situation that Israel finds himself in, but what we see then quite clearly is how God responds to his people. How God responds to us in every situation, in every phase of life. In in fact, one scholar says the great takeaway from the minor prophets is not Israel's sin, it's not historicity, it's not any of these things. The great takeaway of the minor prophets is the character of God. We see God revealed over time to a people that are in desperate need of Him. Hey y'all, whether they knew they needed Him or not. And so in Hosea chapter 1, we're going to begin reading, we're going to pull out these character traits of God. And so today we look at a God who pursues. What business does a perfect God have in pursuing me and you? Let's begin reading in verse 2 of Hosea chapter 1. And I normally pray after I read, but I'm going to pray before I read. You'll see why in a moment. Father... Thank you for your word and that it is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. God, I pray it would penetrate our hearts. I pray that it would make a difference in our life. And though difficult sayings we may hear, God, I pray that you would allow us to check ourselves where we are aligned with you. And God, may we be greater, of greater use for your kingdom as a result. Transform us by your word today. It's in your name we pray. Amen. All right, so let's set a tone for Hosea. Y'all ready? Let's read verse 2. When the Lord spoke first through Hosea, the Lord said to Hosea, the first thing God says to Hosea, not, hey, Hosea, how you doing? Not, hey, it's great to have you on my team. Not, thanks for being faithful. This is what God says first to Hosea. Go and take to yourself a wife of whoredom and have children of whoredom. For the land commits great You guessed it, whoredom by forsaking the Lord. So he went and took Gomer, 
the daughter of Dibley. Told you it set a tone. And I want you to understand why I like the ESV version in this is there is a, an attempt to soften this blow in certain translations. And I'm, this is not a, I'm not a soapbox translation guy. We have three pastors at Lindsay Lane and all three preach from a different, a different translation. So I'm not, I, what I like what the ESV does here is it does not soften the blow of the original Hebrew language. It wants you, the Hebrew language wants you to recoil when you read three times exactly what God is telling Hosea to do. He wants it to stand out and he wants it to set a tone for him. It sets a tone for the entire book. And so he tells them, right, go and take for yourself A wife of whoredom, a perfect God telling a prophet of God who is his messenger in that day to go and take a prostitute as your wife. And not just that, but procreate. Have children born out of whoredom. For the land commits this same Act of adultery every single day. What he tells Hosea is, Hosea, y'all want object lessons, right? Hosea, your whole life, your whole love life, forget Nicholas Sparks, baby, your whole love life is on full display for the entire nation to see how absolutely wretched and terrible they are. How do you do that? You go and marry a wretched, terrible woman. Wow! Setting a tone, right? This is what God tells Hosea to do. Hosea is unique from all the other minor prophets and that his love life is to be an illustration of Israel's sin against God. The name Gomer literally means sensual pleasure. Her name means what she does. It's not just who she is or not just what she does, it's who she is. Her identity is wrapped up in the fact of that she is a person who is completely in sin and adultery, right? They know what they're doing. When people go to a person like Gomer, they know when they go to Gomer, there, is not, there are bad things that are about to happen. There are sinful things that take place. Far, further than that, her father's name means completion or fullness. So not, she's ju- not just pleasure, but she is the completion of it. She is, she is as, as much as you could possibly be in this area of sin. She is all wrapped up in it. You know what she's saying? Go and take a woman that's not new to the trade. Go and take a woman who's perpetuating the family business. Not only is this my profession... But I come from a long line of prostitutes and harlots. It's all I've known. It's what I grew up with. It's what I saw my parents doing. It's what I am doing. She was completely and totally sold out to this sin. Here's my question. What does a holy God have 
to do with sending a prophet of his to this sinful woman, to this prostitute, this harlot. This recoil is exactly where God wanted his people to live. Because what we see is God is showing Israel, already he is showing Israel a love that they do not deserve. You have played the harlot. You have prostituted yourself toward other gods. But I love you. And so what we see of God in his character is that God has initiated an unthinkable love. Not just an unthinkable love to sinful Israel. Not just Hosea's unthinkable love to Gomer. Which have, I don't know about you, but I, in my flesh, I thought, man, she must have been something to look at because that name, like English translation of that name, like just does not do, that's, that sounds terrible, right? Going to Gomer, right, for all of these things. But he doesn't just initiate it back then. He initiates it to us. We were... God created man, and it was good. And since Eden, there hadn't been another good. There hadn't been a single one. And it doesn't matter what our name is, and it doesn't matter what our occupation is. For God to initiate love toward any person in this room or since that is converting oxygen into carbon dioxide is an unthinkable act. An unthinkable act. I love it. I love it. I'm going to get him to read my next, my, my next scripture. <laughs> I love it. It's, hey, he's listening. He's listening. All. He's, got the, he's got the scripture pulled up. Right? Some of y'all, you'd be real disappointed in what started reading off your phone right now. Though you're trying to show everyone. I'm just kidding. All right. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. If you're convicted, it's not me. It's the Holy Spirit. All right? But God has initiated an unthinkable Love, there's people online that just have no idea what just happened, by the way. We just got some scripture narrated to us if you're following online. Uh, so, so he has initiated an unthinkable love toward us. Now, when I think about that, I think about, right, the knight in shining armor effect. This woman is sold into this sex trafficking. He, she, is, she is as immersed as you could possibly be. And in comes the knight in shining armor on his noble steed. And he whisks the girl away from this horrible occupation that she really had no choice in. And he takes her away. And he takes her to his shiny castle. And they live happily ever after, right? Like Julia Roberts movies start going off in your head, right? Like these are, these are the things that we think of when we hear what he does. Wow! Surely she'd be thankful, and surely she'd respond accordingly. I've been rescued from everything, from all of my sin. 
I'm happy where I'm at. But that's not what she does. You see, point two, God pursues the unlovely, but the unlovely pursues unloveliness. That is the nature of who we are to sin. It is the nature of who God's people was in Israel to sin. It is a sin nature born from Eden, from Adam and Eve. We have done the unthinkable. God has initiated unthinkable love toward us. But listen to this point. We have unthinkably rejected God's love toward us. Can you imagine all that I had done to rescue this woman in Hosea's mind? And she has the audacity. Hosea chapter 2 verse 5. We'll get to Hosea 1 in just a moment. Listen to what it says, 2 verse 5. For their mother has played the whore. Again, not softening the verbiage for all of the, the young children that might be listening in Israel. It might be there as Hosea is telling what's happening. He wants them to deal, to conflict with this word. So she, so she who conceived them has acted shamefully, right? Born, they born children. We'll get to them in a minute. But she has acted shamefully, for she has said, I will go after my lovers who give me bread and my water, my wool and my flax, my oil and my drink. She had everything she needed in Hosea, a rescuer. Never again to put her body through the things that they, it had been put through before that time. She had everything that she needed. But instead, she craved the attention, the old attention from those other men. She craved the provision that they offered. She craved the gifts. She craved the momentary pleasure. Again, right? This is who she is. This is her name. This is her birthright. This is what she does. And she pursued relationship outside of the confines of the marriage relationship. Hosea unthinkably makes her the target of his love. And she unthinkably rejects it. But it doesn't just stop there. It's not just a single relationship that's baffling to all of Israel. There's other little object lessons that come about. Hosea chapter 1, the last part of, chapter, of verse 3. She conceived and bore him a son. That is specific verbiage. Bore him a son. So this son came from Hosea. That's important because that's all about to change. He, she bears him a son and the Lord said to him. Now y'all, kids, I don't know how you feel about the name that your parents gave you. But I just promise you, according to Hosea, it could be worse. It could be worse. Because listen to this. Verse 4, call his name Jezreel. What? was Jezreel. Jezreel was a place where Jeroboam II's great-great-grandfather would kill the Israelite, the Israel king, the king of Israel. That's the word I was looking for. The king of Israel. He would kill the king of Judah. 
He would kill Jezebel later. He would leave there and kill Jezebel. And he would kill 112 people who were rightful heirs to the throne, making him unrivaled, thus allowing Jehu to be the king of Israel. He said, call his name, the name that historically is is known for incredible bloodshed. Incredible war, incredible pain, incredible loss. Call his name Jezreel. For in a little while, I will punish the house of Jehu. This was the one who killed all the people. For the blood of Jezreel. And I will put an end to the kingdom of the house of Israel. It's not just for the the house of Jehu. right? There could be another kingly line. No, I'm putting an end to all of Israel. And on that day, verse 5, I will break the bow of Israel in the valley of Jezreel. So name your firstborn son, your pride and joy, born to you, you know is your son. Let him be a marker for every person in Israel. The name Jezreel literally means to scatter. So every person who is born of Hebrew blood, who is born of the promise, my messenger, right, your son... Make his name Jezreel, meaning to scatter. When, it, when Assyrians would, the Assyrians would actually overtake the northern kingdom, the way their practice was when they would overtake a place, they would take the inhabitants of that land and they would spread them over the vastness of their empire. And so literally, when, Assyri- when the Assyrians defeated right, and came in and sieged Samaria... When they took them away, they deported them and scattered them all over the empire. Name your son the demise, the end of the northern kingdom of Israel. Wow. Thanks, Dad. But he doesn't stop there. Let's keep reading. She conceived again. Notice it doesn't say from him. She conceived again and bore a daughter. And the Lord said to him, Call her name no mercy. No love. Literally, no love. For I will no more have mercy on the house of Israel to forgive them at all. But I will have mercy on the house of Judah and I will save them by the Lord their God. I will not save them by bow or sword or by war or by horsemen. Horses or by horsemen. When you have your daughter, which I had two boys first, and I thought I was a veteran at being a dad until I had a little girl. And I will tell you now, looking back, I was just as unprepared to have a daughter as I was to have a kid, period. She's a game changer in great ways and in some kind of terrifying ways. But she's she's a game changer. For us, right? So surely this little girl who's going to crawl up in your lap, this little girl who's you're going to teach to make words, and she just talks cuter than the boys because she's not a boy, right? The, the, the girl that gives you snuggles and gives you kisses, the girl that, that, that you love to hear the door open in her bedroom upstairs and see her little butt sliding down on the stairs, like that same little girl, call her no love. Identify her as complete separation from me. Complete separation from the Father. I will no longer have mercy 
on Israel. And I will call her Lo Rohama, no love. I do not love you. Many scholars believe that at best, at best, Hosea was probably thinking, this is not my child. Maybe you couldn't prove it, but he was pretty sure this was not his child. The third one, there was no doubt. When she had weaned no mercy, she conceived, again, not to Hosea, she conceived and bore a son. And the Lord said, here's the third one, right? The baby of the family, the one that you mistreat for the better, you know, like they deal with it later in life, but the one that you baby, you baby the baby, right? Call this one not my people, for you are not my people, and I am not your God. You know what the name Lo-Ami literally means not mine the name of this little boy you are not my son you are the son of another not just do I not have love for you but I don't even associate you with my name you are not my kid Can you imagine the gut-wrenching emotions in Hosea? God had called this man. He was just doing what God had called him to do. And the woman who he rescued probably purchased, more than likely purchased, for 30 pieces of uh, shekels of silver, has not only run away, but now has birthed illegitimate children that are the poster children for the rebellion and the forsaking of God's love to his people. Can you imagine how brokenhearted Hosea would have been? You know what God was saying? Israel? That's exactly how I feel. I've created you. I've made you. I've knit you together in your mother's womb. I have redeemed you. I have given covenant after covenant, tracing my love for you through generations. And you have unthinkably rejected me. And now not only you, but your offspring are damaged. They're damaged goods. They are not my people. He was foretelling the falling of Israel. When the covenant blessings of God for a time would be removed and that the nation would crumble. The nation would be scattered. The nation would not experience the love and protection of God. They would not have mercy of God on their life. They would be forsaken for a time because of their sin. You see, sin doesn't just break God's law. It breaks God's heart. It breaks his heart. Because he knows the price that he paid. So as he would see his children cut off from the promises of God. Deuteronomy 23, this is not in your notes. Deuteronomy 23, 2 tells us that no one that is born into an illegitimate marriage, is allowed even to have any part in the worship of Yahweh God. 
So what, in essence, what he, he had offspring now, illegitimate offspring that wasn't even welcome to be a part of the worship services in Israel. They were completely discommunicated and cut off from God. No one born of a forbidden union may enter the assembly of the Lord, even to the 10th generation. None of his descendants may enter the assembly of the Lord, right? This was serious stuff. Praise God for Hosea chapter 3. Because what we find there is the third point. God pursues the unlovely again. He does it again. The same unthinkable love that we cast off and rejected, He initiates to us again. Hosea chapter 3, verse 1. Let's read it together. And the Lord said to me, Go again. Go again. Go again. Go again. The Lord said to Hosea, Go again. You've gone before. You've paid your 30 shekels of silver. Go again. Go again. Because I don't leave my people this way. Go again. Experience all the hurt, experience the sacrifice, experience the the torment. Go again. Love a woman who is loved by another man and is an adulteress. Love her with the same unthinkable love you did before on an unthinkable target. Do it Again, why? Even as the Lord loves the children of Israel. Do we feel the gravity of that? Though they turn to other gods, I can provide. Though they crave the cakes of raisins, this idol worship practice, they are made to worship me. So what does he say? So I bought her. I bought her. Wanted to make sure that this word was different. He he left no doubt. I bought her for 15 shekels of silver and a homer and a lettuce of barley. And I said to her, you must dwell as mine as many days. You shall not play the whore. Or belong to another man. And so will I also be to you. I'm not going to hold it over your head. I'm not going to bring, read from the book of blame later on. I'm not going to use it to justify my actions later. I will do to you what I am asking you to do to me. I will love you without condition. And without requirement. Only be faithful to me. In your note, God's love paid an unthinkable price to redeem our love toward Him. Well, how much did He pay? Well, 15 shekels of silver and a bunch of barley doesn't quite equate in today's terminology, right? Well, how much is that? Here's what we believe scholars believe that. 
the reason why he didn't pay 30, she had sold herself back into the same business. Whatever it was, whatever capacity that is, and there's a lot of debate on that, whatever capacity she was in this prostitution business, he had to purchase her again. The only way you get them is you purchase them, right? And so she purchased the sex slave probably once before for 30 shekels. That is the going rate, according to Exodus, for slaves. But then he, he purchased her for 15 shekels and barley. Many scholars believe that this purchase would have bankrupted Hosea. The reason why he didn't give more in silver is because he didn't have it to give. He was bankrupt pursuing again this woman who has broken his heart already. So much so that he had to scrounge together produce. Will this be enough? It's all I have. Will this be enough? And he purchased her again. He redeemed her. The word literally meaning to purchase again. She purchased her back. He played, paid an unthinkable price again. He paid an unthinkable price to buy her, to purchase her, to solidify her love toward him. You want to know the kicker? We don't know what happened. We don't know. I don't know how the novel ends. I don't know how the movie that's out now ends. But I know what, however it ends, I bet it don't end this way. We have no idea what Gomer did. No idea. It doesn't say happily ever after at the end of that. It goes in and he starts talking about the sin of Israel. He starts laying out the court case. You've broken my heart. I want you to see that you've broken my heart. Now let me show you how you've broken my law. We don't know. But here's what I do know. I'm here because he went after me again. He went after me again. And he went after me again and again and again. As Paul would say, what wretched man that I am, who can deliver me from this body of death? By the grace of God, I am what I am. It is Christ's intervention in my life. It is his love relationship that he has pursued with unthinkable fervor and passion. He has pursued me through the depth of my sin and depravity. And he found me there. And he purchased me there. And then he went again and again and again. And that same mercy and that same love extends to you. You know, the kids, they got to experience a little bit of a name change. It says of Jezreel, you can go back and read it in the end of chapter 2. It says of Jezreel, I will, instead of scatter, I will gather my people again. And great will be the day of Jezreel. I'm doing away, I'm reversing this fortune of this child. 
You know what he says in chapter 2, verse 1? That's in, verse cha- in chapter 1, ver- uh, at the end of the chapter. You know what he says in chapter 2, verse 1? Say to my brother, say to lo me, the one who is not my son, say to him, you are loved. Change his name from lo me to Ami. Because I have pursued him with my love. It's not just about the relationship between Hosea and Gomer. But it relates, the trickle down effects affects all the kids. Say to your daughter, say to your sister, you are loved. So, Lo Rohama, not loved. His name is changed to Rohama. Loved. The brother's name is changed from Lo Ami, not my people, to mine. You are mine. Not because of anything that you've done, but because I have pursued you with my love. This is what Christ offers as a small picture of what we as the church have experienced if we have found Jesus. He has changed who we are. He has changed the fortune of my soul and your soul. He has changed our destiny if we have responded in faith to him. Galatians 3 tells us, All are children of Abraham who are of the faith. The New Testament picture that changes, and we've talked about it in in Haggai, right? The New Testament picture is not a physical lineage. It is a spiritual lineage. And so those that are of the family of Abraham are a spiritual inheritance. We receive the same promises. We are his and he is ours. So if you don't have a relationship with Christ, you're the most important person in this room. God would love nothing more than you to respond to him, to return to a God who has pursued you relentlessly with his love. Would you bow your head and close your eyes? I know I have illustrations, and I brought my wife's engagement ring, actually. Now think about the price that was paid for this ring. Literally, I was as rich as I'd ever been when I received the money in my account to go and buy this ring. And literally, I was as poor as I'd ever been after I paid for this ring. Man, it's easy to love someone that loves me the way that my wife does. It's not perfect. She's not perfect. I'm not perfect. And I've never once doubted the initial investment. Christ just didn't invest initially in us. He invested again and again and again and again, proving his love for us. So would you respond to that? Does that do something in you? Because it does something in me. If you don't have that, would you respond to that today? He offers it today for you right now. 
You can transfer from low roama, from not loved to loved by God. You can transfer from not his, of the kingdom of this darkness, into the kingdom of his marvelous light. You will be loved. You will be his. You can respond today. If you don't have a relationship with Christ, I would love to talk to you about how you can. Counselors are here would love to talk to you about that relationship. Would you do it? Would you come today?